Hello and welcome to Break the Boardroom, a music business podcast breaking the wall between the public and music industry insiders. I'm your host, Ashley Betances, a music business student. We have our audio engineer and producer, Curtis Sullivan, in the room, who will also be asking some questions. Before we start, please like this episode and subscribe to our show and social media pages linked in the description and consider donating to our coffee page. Every donation counts and helps us bring you the best content possible. Thank you and let's get started. Our guest today is Camille Barbone. Camille is a polymath of the music business, from developing and managing Madonna to working with all departments of major labels. Camille has done just about every behind-the-scenes job in the music business you can think of, from working as a label executive for Columbia and EMI, to managing Madonna, to owning the famous Longview Farm and Gotham Sound Studios, and producing major concerts and tours, and more. Welcome to the show, Camille. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor. Uh, it's wonderful to work with any of uh, Professor Linda Cretelli's students, so I'm really excited about being here today. Thanks for asking me. Of course. And just a side note, um, Linda is my professor uh, at Ryder University, so um, this is where I got the contact from, of course. Um, so now we can move on to some questions. So uh, just a quick introduction of yourself. You can go in detail as much as you want. So can you please introduce yourself and your experience in the music industry? Hi, my name is Camille Barbone. I've been in the music business for about 40 years. Uh, I started out in my early 20s, uh, so you can guess my age. Um, <laughs> and, and as Ashley said there, I've, I've held many positions and done many, many different things in the music business. And in the long run, that's the best way to get experience in the music business is by hands-on doing. Um, I started out working at record labels. I worked at Columbia Records. I was very fortunate. Uh, I became their new release coordinator and then later on the manager and director of the department. What my responsibility was, was to help each of the departments that goes into making uh, a, a recording, a release, happen. My job was to make keep them on schedule, keep them on time, understand what they did, and understanding the contingencies. Contingencies being what they would have to do to stay on track if they were off track. It gave me a great uh, foundation for information uh, with regards to a career in the music industry. I've owned my own studios, as Ashley has mentioned. I've worked as uh, a high-level executive at major labels, including uh, vice president and general manager. I've consulted to pretty much most of the big CEOs in the business. And right now I'm a coach and a consultant. And as a coach and a consultant, I work with a lot of artists who are interested in either monetizing their work, they're interested in breaking out, they maybe don't understand their brand, their artist development, their marketing. But I've taken all my experiences to date in all these four years, and I use them every day. Mm. Whenever I'm working with an artist, there isn't an area in my brain that I don't have to visit to come up with a piece of information or data that is part and parcel of my experience in the business. I was known as the artist whisperer for a long time in the music business when record labels had problems with artists, when maybe there was substance abuse or maybe they had procrastination issues or there, were, there was a fear of success. Uh, the labels would call me in and I'd work with the artists. I have a degree in psychology uh, and I have a master's degree in business and both wow. helped me immeasurably in, in, in my work. Yeah, I can see that. Um, how how does that work? How does uh, consulting in in that sense, in you know these very sensitive, uh, sensitive sensitive nature, how does that 
work in terms of the business? You know, do you have to sign a contract? Do you have to sign releases? Anything of that nature? You, depending upon the the, the subject matter, there's always a non-disclosure and confidentiality agreement that is pretty standard in the music industry mm-hmm. and most big businesses. When you're dealing with sensitive information, now now if I I was was privy to information about uh, uh, an artist's private life or something like that, that is absolutely 100% confidential. Mm-hmm. I still uphold my confidentiality with regards to Madonna. The things that I talk about when I'm interviewed about Madonna have nothing to do with the private conversations, the things that she as an artist and me as her manager shared in trust. That's really important. So trust is really a big issue. And you you have to be very careful with the information that you're given and what you do with that information. I think over the years, my reputation has served me well with regards to that. The industry record labels know that if they're talking to me and they're telling me what's going on, it stays with me, it remains with me. And I, I deal with it the way I'm supposed to, as opposed to sharing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Get some juicy information, though. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I bet. And you know, I feel like that's very important. Um, that confidentiality, that trust. Um, you know, I feel like people go into the music business not really understanding that it's a very heavy business to be in in terms of information. Um, there's just so much that goes on in the background, yeah. especially with artists. Um, when you're dealing with, with artists, even finance finances, um, sure. you know, you, you have to keep that confidentiality going. Um, so how do you, um, explain to, let's say up and coming artist managers, like how do you prepare them to maintain that confidentiality? Great question. First off, the artist and manager relationship is known as a fiduciary relationship. Fiduciary meaning it's predicated on trust. Mm-hmm. Okay. My job as an artist manager is to do the best I possibly can do for my artist. It means if there's a conflict, okay, if if I'm in a negotiation where maybe the terms one way might be favorable to me as opposed to the to the actual artist, I have a fiduciary responsibility to make that artist my priority. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a tall order. That's a lot to do. So you have to build trust with a client. What you have to do is you have to show them that your word is good, that you do the things that you say you're going to do, that you can be relied upon uh, mm-hmm. to support them with a very even hand and, and honesty, with the knowledge of the business in, imparted into everything. But you, you have to understand that it's very important that the artist believes in you as much as you believe in an artist when you, you're involved in an artist management relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that belief has to be mutual. Now, if you're a bra- virtually an unknown manager and you don't have very, very much to talk about it as far as the business is concerned, then you as a person is important. Do you say and do what you say you're going to do? Can you be trusted to uh, relate information accurately, not embellish it, not not distort it? These are the points. They're very basic, but these are at the foundation of any working relationship. And they matter a lot when you're dealing with an artist because you're dealing with a living, breathing commodity when you're dealing with an artist. Mm -hmm. You're not dealing with a, a pen or a stapler or a lamp. You're dealing with a person. That is actually treated as a product by the industry. Mm-hmm. So that, that touch 
the, what the manager brings to that is the humanity of this business. A label can say something very coarse and crass to me about an artist. I'm not going to run back and verbatim talk to the artist and say, you know what they said about you? The idea is to, A, number one, address the improprieties at the label because you're representing the artist. So if they're being disrespectful or anything like that, you need to command respect. But then if it's valuable feedback for that artist, you need to go to that artist and tactfully explain what the label is wanting them to do or thinks they'll be better to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes artists want to do it. Sometimes it's a deal breaker. Sometimes it's it's a rebranding. Sometimes I'm called in to help with a rebranding. But either way, it's all predicated on the trust they have in me to watch their back, to do what's right for them, to not hurt them, to have their best interests at heart. Yeah, uh, it's in a, in a sense a symbiotic relationship. If you know, if oh, they yeah. don't trust you, then how can how can you actively work on their favor? You know, how can you make sure that they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing? Yeah, if if they don't trust well, you, they're not going to do what they have to do. Exactly, you use the word symbiotic, and yes, it is uh, the roles reverse sometimes. For anybody that doesn't know what a symbiotic relationship is, we'll, we'll use a dog and a flea. As, as the, the analogy, okay? The dog is the host of the flea. The flea eats off of the dog. And sometimes the dog relies upon the flea. It's the same thing with, with the artist and the artist manager. Sometimes there's role reversal. Sometimes the trust flows in one direction or the other. Uh, but it, it is a very close relationship. So misbehaviors on other end by either person may have some serious ramifications. Mm-hmm. For uh, for those artist managers who are starting out, um, when you like, do you explain this to them? How do you explain this to them in a sense that is uh, very easy to take in and isn't overwhelming? I think um, aspiring artist managers they they sort of think, oh, I'm just gonna manage this person, I'm gonna get money. But it's like, how how do you explain to them that it's not about the money, or you know, in a sense. It might be, but well, if if it's a profession, it, it is about the money. But yeah. how do you how do you hone your skills so that you actually earn money? Is the question. And by that, you need to really have a, a good working knowledge of the business. You need to understand re- about record labels. You need to understand about publishing, about live performance. Okay, you have to have a really good database of contacts. I mean, you can't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be an artist manager. With most professions, you need certain equipment and, and assets in order to do it. And you you develop those along the way. You develop the contacts along the way. You develop the knowledge along the way. But what I what I did was I, I got involved in every aspect of, of what the artist would have to get involved in. I put a lot of time, effort, and energy in, into understanding contracts from an artist management point of view. So what I did is early on in management, I had a couple of friends of mine that were, were attorneys. I would pick their brains constantly. Mm-hmm. And then what I did on down the line is I would literally pay for an hour of consult time from an attorney and just say, I want to know all about artist management contracts or booking contracts or record labels so that I could sit with my clients and I could explain things to them and have them hear them the words come from my mouth so that they knew I was a source of information that they could rely on. 
It's very important to get your database of information as crammed as possible if you want to be a manager, because managers have their fingers in every pie. There Mm -hmm. isn't one area of an artist's career that is excluded from a manager's day-to-day responsibilities. So you need to know everything. And in this day and age, when we're dealing with record deals that are 360 deals, and for any of your audience that don't don't understand what a 360 deal is, record labels used to only collect royalties from the sale of pre-recorded music, nothing more. Mm -hmm. But now they're collecting a a commission on every aspect of an artist's career. If the artist does a film, if the artist has a hit song and someone else is covering it, if the artist is going on tour, the record label is actually sharing in that income now. Now, the labels are signing much longer term contracts because of this. And their excuse, and I put it in, in air quotes, their excuse is it's because we're really going to get involved in a lot of artist development. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we can justify these areas. But the truth of the matter is they don't. And it really falls on the shoulders of the manager to make sure all those aspects of the artist's career are humming and happening and and feeding into each other. It's about energy when you manage a client. It's about grouping as many exciting things as possible into a small window of time to start to build the momentum. It's like trying to trigger going viral all the time. It's, It's trying to get as many people to intersect with your client as possible. And those people need to be predisposed for that kind of music. So it's that artist's core audience that you're going after. So one of the first things a manager needs to do is define who the artist is and what their core audience is. What's their genre? What's their pocket? Who's going to love you? Who's going to hate you? That really figures into your whole signing strategy as well. When you sign an artist, you have to be sure of a number one, is this artist sellable right now? Mm. Does Is the industry ready for this type of music? Is there too much of this music out there? So your signing criteria needs to be very, very tight and very, very succinct because you don't want to waste your time, your efforts, your resources, your energy on an artist that may not be as easy to sign as another artist. So you really have to pick with a great deal of, of scrutiny and, and strategy in mind. Um, the type of music. Does the artist write their own music? Or would you have to go out and, and find songs for that person? Does the artist have an incredible voice? Is it a unique voice? It doesn't have to be musically correct, but is it unique? Is it is extraordinary? We can't say that Madonna had an extraordinary voice. Okay, she had a very, very short range. It was just a two or three octave range, right? But she was one of the best artists to ever step on a stage. So that compensated for it. That's what an, an artist manager should do when he or she or they are, are assessing whether or not they want to sign this act. Is the product sellable and viable? Can the artist deliver the product? Do they write their own music? Do they have their own band? Do they need a band? All of these things figure not only into the strategy, it figures into the cost, and it figures into the time it's going to take to get this artist ready for the mainstream music business to embrace them. So what do you need? You need great songs. You need an amazing stage performance. Now we even add social media activity onto this because we know the labels are monitoring that. 
So yeah. now we have to make sure our social media numbers are right. Not too many. We're not, we're, we're not doing too many posts. We're not following too many people, but we have maximum amount of followers and we have a good percentage of engagement. So you have to, as a manager, make sure all those ducks are in a row before you say yes to an artist and before you can begin to pitch that artist to a label. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we're uh, learning in class, because I'm in an artist management class, um, Mm -hmm. is we also have to be managing their finances in a sense. Like we have to try to budget, create budgets and make sure that, oh, are, are we doing enough to create the income that they need to survive and to keep making that music in order to get signed. Yes, it's important. And and the the financial aspects of it figure very heavily into whether or not you can can sign that artist as a manager. If the artist needs a lot of money and you don't have the money to back the growth, you're in trouble right now. What do you spend money on? Wardrobe maybe band rehearsals and band salaries, right? Maybe if you have gigs, transportation. Maybe I have to travel to Los Angeles to have a couple of meetings. All these things figure into whether or not it's a viable decision to sign that specific artist. You really have to look at it. You can just love their voice, but if everything else is a mess, you're not going to be able to sign that artist. If you're going to spend your assets on pitching an artist, using your contacts, moving around, spending time, effort, being, being labor intensive. You have to be sure that they're, they're, they're sellable. You can like them personally, and that's different from are they sellable. Mm. You have to find out what the labels are selling. What are they looking for? That's where I used to start in terms of if I was thinking I wanted to sign another artist. I would find out what the labels were looking for. I'd find out what what was going on, what what's breaking musically, what's on the charts, what's starting to happen. You, you look at trends, right? You look at let let's take for example when Billie Eilish came on the scene. Okay, very different, right? It, her songs weren't conventional pop songs with a tight hook, very short, very succinct. They were almost narratives. They were stories, and what we saw. After Billy broke on the scene, we saw a lot of other artists with that type of music going on. The labels are very interesting. To an extent, they'll duplicate the actions of their competitors. In other words, if I sign a Billy Eilish, maybe, and I work for Sony, maybe Universal will sign another artist that's similar to Billy. And then maybe Warner will too, but then it stops. Three is about the most you can deal with in terms of that, that, that channel, that line. And then you have to go for some something else. But there's that window of opportunity when a certain genre and type of music breaks that it would enable a manager to say, oh, I know an artist just like that. Let me pick it up. I'll run on over to Sony and tell them, hey, I've got something that's similar to Billie Eilish. Let's talk. So you have to know the business is what I'm telling you. You have to know the proclivities and the signing habits of the labels. Why does does a label sign? What information do they need to sign? Because you want to go to that meeting prepared. You want to anticipate the questions that an A&R person will ask and have those answers on the tip of your tongue and you lay them out really easily. And you, again, are projecting confidence, not only for your client, but also towards the label. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
my question is always like, how do we get all of that information? Uh, I don't think, I mean, how how is it? Very, it doesn't seem very easy to get. It, you know, it's easier now than it was when I started out in the business because there's the internet. You have to research, you have to network, you have to get out there and you have to read a lot. You read Billboard from cover to cover. You read some of the music reports information and all that kind of stuff. If there's an article and in Music Review, if there's an article in some of the other publications that that cater to this industry, you have to, you have to be on it. If the RIAA makes a statement and says this, this, and this is changing, or if the MLC or the Harry Fox Agency, the performing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI, CSEC, are changing their rules, changing their regulations, you have to absorb all that. I kept a, a pretty much a database. You know, I would have a folder that said publishing and I would I would just have running notes on publishing. And the more I learned, the more I put on that paper and the more I had a point of reference. I could always go back to that folder and say, wait a minute, what's going on with this? Mechanical royalties are doing what now? Are they still deducting them? Are they not? That becomes my Bible. Oh. And I strongly urge new artists going into the, this business to do that. Computer's beautiful. I mean, you can you can put your notes, you can search a topic, go right to the topic. So I utilize a battery of information with whatever I do and you have to collect it. You have to absorb it and you collect it. It becomes rote. It becomes easy for you to recall after a while when, you, when you're utilizing it more and more, it becomes part and parcel of, of your, your shtick, you know, of the way you talk to people. Uh, it's your knowledge base. But you have to dig and you have to learn. You look at the Grammys, look at uh, the music awards, see what's happening there. Look at the politics. Look who's look who's speaking, who's mm -hmm. writing articles, uh, you know, for for um, any of the magazines that, that, that are involved. Read interviews, uh, especially if you're a woman, read interviews by women in the music business, a Sylvia Rohn, you know, all those kinds of things. It's up to you. No one's going to force feed you this. And you're in a class, right? So you get a good foundation. But still, you need the you need the outside world. You need the real world to temper that information and put it in the proper context. Mm -hmm. um, you did mention networking. And I feel like networking is one of the hardest things to do in this industry. <laughs> I mean, for someone to give their time to you, that's very valuable. Uh -huh. And it's also one of the obstacles that I see a lot. Um, sometimes the people just don't have the time that they can offer you, you know? And if I get they to don't. me, I, they don't. I, I think that they also um, in the same way, like people are very lucky. There's more information finding those trusted sources. Also, if you have a bunch of notes, maybe on this person, like I have throw an email out there, throw a, a, a whatever, even if you're, you know, not going for a full meeting, maybe you have that one question that will spark all of the other information that you can have pages and pages of notes on. Indeed. indeed. You know, the, there's a beauty to having tools like LinkedIn. Mm. Yes. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is very, very valuable on the business side. LinkedIn, and, and you can literally direct message someone and say, not looking for a job, not looking for anything. I have a, an industry question. I'm going to ask your permission if I can ask it. You've developed another contact, right? Networking was a lot easier when we had showcases and a lot of live performances, mm -hmm. okay? But we don't have them now. And, and a lot of the industry events are online. They're virtual. So it's a, it's a lot more difficult, but I strongly urge you, that no matter where you're based, whatever city, if there's anything going on musically, 
from, from an events industry point of view, go to it. Okay. If you're in New York, you're in LA, you're in Nashville, you're in London, there's, there's a, a, a number of them. Okay. Uh, even some of the other cities, Detroit, you know, Chicago, there's a music scene. Atlanta has the most killer music scene in the world. You know, it's mostly hip hop, but it's a music scene. You have to find those events. And if there aren't a lot of events in your area, think about starting one. There are magnets that can bring people from the industry into your space. You, you're doing it with this, Ashley. You have access to me. You have access to other people that you bring on there. You are effectively networking better than most people because of this vehicle that you have here. So for the people out there that don't have a vehicle, create one. But you've got to have names and numbers and email addresses and be able to text and be able to interact with people. And you have to be able to get them to, to want to work with you. So again, efficient, effective, do what you say, say what you're going to do, all that kind of stuff. Deliver mm -hmm. so that they know, hey, if I call Ashley up, I can trust her. She's going to do this, this, and this for me. Also, letting other people know what you know is very, very important. Um, they'll gravitate towards you. They'll look for more answers. And if you don't have an answer to something, and I still do this all the years in the music business, if I don't have an answer to someone, I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't know. Yes. But I will get back to you. And I do. If it's in the middle of a coaching session and one of my clients says something, I say, Jim, let me get right back to you on that. I don't know the answer to that. And I don't want to make a mistake and give you misinformation. And I make sure not an hour after my coaching session do I find out exactly what the answer to that question is and I send it to them. And that's been my habit for all of my career. And it serves you well. Yeah, I actually, um, I had uh, one episode before this one and we actually discussed this very same topic about, you know, if when you go to network with someone, offer them something. And, and offering them something doesn't mean a service all the time. It can mean information. It can mean asking them, how was your day? Who Like, can, can I get to know you? You know? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And if they have, and there's, there's a wonderful thing that you have to, you have to judge. You have to judge whether the information, information they have is compatible or competitive with you. Mm. If it's compatible, dive in. If it's competitive, think of a way to make it non-competitive. You don't want to be threatening in trying to, to network. It's it's so disarming for someone to walk up to you and say, hey, I'm new in the music business and I, I, I just heard you talk. Um, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? And you have a little bit of an interaction and you think, do you think I could maybe check in with you on down the line? I've got a lot going on. You really, really touched me today. I really identified with a lot of what of the things that you said. Make your connection, okay? Mm -hmm. I am telling you, there are people in the music business that will will go the extra mile for you all the time. As long as you're a nice person, as long as you're an honest person, as, as long as you're not arrogant mm -hmm. or nasty, you know, you have an excellent chance of developing relationships and, and, and a network that can really happen. But, but really, the success in the music business is predicated on who you know and what you know. It's almost, and I say this with all due respect to artists, it's almost irrelevant in terms of the artist that you sign as long as those other two things are in place. Mm. But I mean, it's, it's, you, but you still have to pick wisely. 
I don't want anybody to misunderstand that it's irrelevant. You must sign wisely. You must have a, a, a solid signing criterion and you must stick to that. Um, so what criteria did you have when you signed Madonna? Wow, it was very interesting. She, as I mentioned earlier, she she doesn't have an extraordinary vocal range. Mm-hmm. But her live performance and her personality were such that I knew that the music industry would react. Now, it was very, very difficult to get people to come to see her perform because her demo wasn't that good. Mm. Her singing isn't that good. We put hit songs in there. That's what we did. We did songs that, that she wrote in conjunction with her band at that point in time. But her stage performance was extraordinary. Now, I listened to her demo and it was okay. And I wanted to see her live because her look was extraordinary and her behavior was extraordinary. The way she'd walk around the music building, the way she'd interact with people is that star quality. From a management point of view, I'm watching everything. I'm looking at how you speak to people. I'm looking if you could charm people. I look to see what happens when an artist walks in the room. Do all the heads turn? Do none of the heads turn? You have to see if that magic is there. Because they need to be magnets for people. And you have to judge that early on as to whether or not an audience is going to react and respond to this. She didn't have a great demo. And then eventually I saw her live and she stepped out on stage. And about 15 minutes into it, I said, this could be a huge star. Now, a lot of other people had seen her to that point in time, but they didn't see what I saw. She had a lot of false starts. She had a lot of people promising, promising her a lot of stuff that never materialized. Could have been for a lot of reasons. They probably didn't have the contacts. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't have the knowledge base that that's necessary. Or they probably just wanted to kind of have a relationship with her. And this was a great way to get her to do things. What, what can we say? When I saw her perform live and I saw how she interacted, I took her to a couple of uh, cocktail parties. I, I wanted to see how she would respond and react to people within the industry. And she was outrageous and she was in their face and she was fun and she was unlike anything else out there. And when I saw her perform live, I said, I can overcome the music part of it without any problem at all. All I need to do is get people to see her perform. And that was basically it. The industry was not responding to her her, her demo at all. But when I got them into a room with her and she performed, forget about it. Everybody went nuts. So I knew that about her. And I knew that that could carry everything else. Do And and to date, in all fairness, I have not seen an artist able to perform like that since Madonna. Okay. Beyonce performs like that. Bruno Mars is like the female version of Madonna. I was Nobody about to say, I saw that. Bruno Mars and I was like, I, I liked his music a lot. I was, it was a younger taste in my music. But when I saw him, it was one of those things where it was, it was pre Super Bowl and all of that stuff. And I was like, this guy's the world. He's going to own the world. Well, he's he, live performance folks. That's the key here. Okay. Anybody can go into the studio. Look at auto tune now. Mm-hmm. People, People can sing that can't sing, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. it's live. And even now we're dealing with auto-tune live. But when you have an artist that can really step on a stage and make it theirs, that's, you take that to the bank. That's magical. That right now is more important to me than anything in the world. You can do whatever you need to do in the studio. I can make anyone sound good in the studio. And I have. 
And there are a lot of people out there that are enjoying success that really can't sing. Wow. But maybe they can perform. Okay. So it's performance, right? It's, it's, yeah, if you got a, if you got a great voice too, all the better, you know, I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, I don't really need, I'm looking for it all. I'm looking for the triple quadruple threat when I'm signing an artist. What's the look? What's the personality? What music are they playing? Do they play an instrument? Do they write? Do they have a band? All those things figure into it. And and it's it's redundant. You always go back to those things every time you consider a signing. I, I find that so I find that so fascinating that, you know, we have to focus on these specific aspects of an artist, but if something is lacking, then another thing can really make up for it. Correct. And and it's sort of like, okay, well, they're not complete, like they're not completely there, but you know, these are specific points about them that is just are just so great that we need to, you know, we need to make them well, better. We need to make them a star. Exactly. Does one does one aspect of the artist's ability overshadow and compensate for the other? Can, mm-hmm. Is it strong enough to pull the other aspect of, of the, the artist up? To the, to the level you want it. Is it irrelevant because the other thing is just so strong? Mm-hmm. I mean, Madonna from a live point of view and, and most artists that I've been involved with, uh, I and I gravitate towards artists that step on a stage and make magic. You know, they, I, I call it body-mind coordination. Artists like Bruno Mars, like Michael Jackson, like Madonna, like Beyonce, they understand how they look on stage. They understand when they move their hand or they flick their hair or they grab a microphone. They understand what it looks like visually and how an audience responds to it. They understand what audiences like. They connect with their audience and they play into their audience. You want an artist that really can connect, take the energy of the audience, use it and 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 then spew it back out at them. Very important. Very, very do you important. think do you think that an artist can learn that or is that just something that is inherently by nature I think an artist can learn that but I think they have to be predisposed to it I don't think you could take somebody that really doesn't even dance mm-hmm. and put them on stage what is going on with Taylor Swift okay she's a phenomenon I I commend her across the board for the success and th- that she's experiencing right now is she fantastic on stage? No, she's never been fantastic on stage. She basically stands there and sings. She's got a lot. No, it's a big show. It's got a it's got a big stage now. So she's moving around and she's doing. But really, when you see what she's doing, it's really very basic. She basically delivers her songs. That's it. Okay. Look at Beyonce as a as a phrase. She never stays still. 15 dancers moving all over the stage, up one side, down the other, in the, in the sky, down on the ground. She's all over the place. Yes. Taylor stays grounded. Okay. It's based upon her strengths and her weaknesses. Okay. Um, people relate to Taylor's songs, but Taylor's success is predicated on the fact that she and her audience grew up together. Mm. That has a lot to do with it. This audience has been with her since she's 18 years old. Yeah. They've been through boyfriends, breakups, new record deals, bad record deals. The thing with Scooter Braun, they're like an army because they're like her family. And that's the new phenomenon, I, I think, become a byproduct of the, of the Internet. When we didn't have the Internet, we didn't have that that 
that closeness that's almost a little invasive. You know, when you stop and think about fans sending the police to Britney Spears' home because they were concerned about her. That's pretty unusual when you think about it. That's bringing your audience right into your personal life. And that's what people like Camille Cabello, Billie Eilish, Taylor Swift, those are the, that's the, the Sean Mendez, those people, their fans are really family. They know what's going on in their lives. I think it started very early on with the Twilight series and, and the relationship that the audiences had with Christian Stewart and, and David Pattinson. I mean, they were part of their family when Christian cheated on David, boy, everybody was pissed off and mad. They become a part of their lives. Yeah. And that wasn't the way it was back when I started in the music business. And the only thing that I know is different is the internet. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's actually, I, I see that because see, when I was growing up, uh, we didn't really, like the internet was still sort of new. It was like, it wasn't to the extent that we have it now. A lot of really good artists, especially like R&B, those love songs that were coming out in that time. Um, but I didn't really see anyone who was like, who we were in their faces, who we were in their lives all the time. Um, we didn't mm-hmm. see news about their lives 24-7. Right. Yeah, and then right. all of a sudden there was a shift. And, and sometime in the 2010s, like the later ones, the later 2010s, something happened and suddenly we have all these people who are like out there spreading their lives. Social media. Everyone. Social media. Oh, it, there's nothing more. It's all social media. It's the, the, the artist's ability to share mm-hmm. on a moment's notice. You couldn't do that before the internet. You, if, if the artist wanted to make a statement, there would have to be a press release. The press release would have to go to some press outlets. The press outlets would have to agree to, to pick up the information or interview the artist. So it lost in the, tr- in the translation and the execution. But Taylor Swift or anyone else, for that matter, could sit down and in 30 seconds send a, a message out to every one of her fans. Mm. That is extraordinary and it's extraordinarily dangerous. Yes. So, so you have to be very careful with what you share. Mm. Okay. If you, if you veer off politically, if you maybe make a statement that that's, that's having to deal with a social or an economic situation, we deal with cancel culture now. Mm-hmm. Lizzo is a perfect example. And there are a bunch of other perfect examples out there. So it's your, your information base is very different and the closeness, the, in, the intimacy that fans and, and artists share now is, is very different. I mean, you used to wait for the teen magazines and you would find out the favorite color of the artist, what he ate for breakfast, what he did this, what he did. We don't do that anymore. We just go on the internet. We go to their feed. You know, you see, you see Brittany taking your kids to, to daycare or whatever's going on. You can tap right into their lives now. So the intimacy level is quite, quite significant. Mm-hmm. So has social media yeah. added a whole layer of, uh, I guess, in a sense, work of something else to worry about as an artist? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's another thing that you have to coordinate. You know, we're talking about artist management here. You have to look at an artist manager as the the, the, the chairman of the board of a company and mm-hmm. the company's product is the artist and all the people that work for the artist work under the supervision of the manager, okay? So if I'm dealing with a record label, I'm dealing with the A&R people, or I'm dealing with the production people, 
As the manager, I am representing my artist there. If I'm dealing with a booking agency and that person is booking a tour, I'm looking out for the best interest of that. So the manager touches everybody that's involved with the artist's career. And that harkens back to what I was saying in terms of you have to know what you're talking about. Mm. If you're sitting talking to a, a, a producer of a film that wants to use your artist's song in the movie, you better understand synchronization licensing. Yep. And I'm not saying you need to be, be knowledgeable enough to write the contract, but you have to be knowledgeable enough to negotiate the deal. What does is, what is a deal like this pay? What does the contract look like? Can I use that song for someone else? Basic information needs to be at your fingertips if you want to be an artist manager. It's just it's just incredible. When I think about artist management, I, I sometimes uh, don't understand how they do all of it. It's it's like you're one person, but you have to be 10 people at the same time. Um, and then you also have to know when it's time to actually get on other team members. You know, when should I be um, hiring an accountant or... Um, a business manager, you know, when yes. should I hire a stylist? You know, are they going on on tour? Who am I going to be talking to? Who are the managers of that tour? Um, you know, yeah. so it, there's just so many different aspects that an artist manager has to deal with that you're right. They, they can't function without having that basic knowledge. That's it. Everybody thinks it's a party. Yeah, I manage artists. No, you have to deliver. Another thing that, that and, and this supports what I just said a few seconds ago. If you make yourself valuable to the artist, you make yourself valuable to the industry. Mm. The majority of record label executives that run labels mm -hmm. were artist managers because they know how to multitask better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Because of what you just mentioned, Ashley, because of all the different hats they have to wear. I sit down about a sync license, I better know about film. I sit down about an endorsement for perfume, I better know about endorsements. If I'm going on tour, I better understand touring and press and routing and and uh, and everything else, product management, all that kind of stuff, merch. I have to understand it all mm -hmm. because that artist is relying upon you to advise them every step of the way. Do you, do so, you have to, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go on. Okay. No, you go first. <laughs> Do you also have to uh, know about the technology that is used in, for for example, like microphones, um, how to connect them um, so that if, let's say, there is a tour or there is a performance where it's not big enough to have a tour manager or anything of that nature, do, do you um, have to understand what you need or who you need to uh, hire in order to connect everything on the stage in order to make the stage a stage, <laughs> you know, for them to perform. Again, and this, this goes back to, if you don't know it, raise your hand and say, I will find out. And then you find someone to help you with that. You need to know what microphone works best for your artist's voice. Artists have favorite microphones. Mm -hmm. Some some like a, a you know a sharper high end. Some like a, a, a meteor mid range. But that's something you figure out with maybe the help of a, an engineer or the producer of your artist, and you you check. 
you go into a, a, a you go into a studio or you go into a venue and you you test microphones. You go in one day and you test microphones before a sound check and you say, okay, that sure the sure fifty seven doesn't work anymore. I need this. I need you know whatever you need, but you check. You're not going to know it instinctively. Mm-hmm. But as long as you have a good brain and a good mouth, you can find out. And that's what you have to do. You have to be constantly inquisitive, right? Constantly. You have to um, you have to just hunger for more information constantly because great managers have a lot of information. Definitely. Yeah. And, and that's uh, sort of what I was trying to get at. But because I I do want everyone who's listening to this podcast to really understand that to be an artist manager is not simply, oh, I'm going to manage someone and I'm going to gain money and we're going to make them famous and that's it. You know, it is so much more than just that. So much more than those three things. And you have to know everything from technology to social media to marketing and finances. You know, um, eventually your artist might get big enough to get a team. But even then you still have to know, or is this person knows what they're talking about? You have to know more than the team. In order to hire the team, you have to know more than the team. You know, mm-hmm. I think one of the most common mistakes new managers make is too many clients. Mm. So that so their 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 efforts are diluted. They're scattered. They're not really honing in. They're not digging, drilling down, and digging deep. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to, if you aspire to be a manager, a number one, pick the right artist. But it, it, less is more, and when you're dealing with 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 representation. Also, if you're, if you want to manage more than one artist, make sure they're compatible and not competitive. Mm. Okay. Different. Okay. Because it's a conflict of interest. It's a built in conflict of interest. If you've got, let's say you have two hip hop artists, two female rappers. Okay. So when I go back to fiduciary responsibility. So when I go and I sit down with a record label, which one do I pitch? Mm. Can I successfully pitch them both? No. Yeah. I have often heard young managers say, well, I pitched this one. If they don't like it, then I pitched the second one. If the second one aligns to what the labels are buying, what the trends are going on musically and all those kinds of things. Yeah, it's it's a second pitch, but odds are good that that's not the case. And you don't decide to pitch something on the fly. If I had a meeting in an A&R office, I prepared my pitch. I knew what songs I was going to play. I knew what information I was going to give them about the activities of the artist. I knew what I was going to ask for. I knew what my market drivers were that could be used to get them to sign that client. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a science. There's an art to being to, to being able to interact. There are the people skills that are innate that you know you, you don't learn those. You practice them until you get them right. And some people just don't have that touchy-feely thing when it comes to people. Mm-hmm. And they got to look at that. That might not be, artist management may not be the job for them. Because you're dealing with people from all walks of life. You're dealing with people that sometimes are very very angry mm-hmm. or very annoying or very obnoxious. I mean, you deal with all the trouble as a manager. You, your job is to resolve issues and challenges as well. So not everybody is nice to deal with. You mm. have to keep your cool. You have to keep your head. You have to get them to do what you want them to do. 
and have them thank you for it. So you really need to have good sales skills, good psychology skills as well. But practice on one artist. You know, I've I have six artists on my roster, but none of them are signed. None of the, nothing's happening. So six artists on your roster does not impress me. One art, one artist that's gigging regularly, that's getting a little bit of press, whose social media is really starting to pop and stuff, is more impressive to me than six artists on your roster. So it's what you do. It's it's quality, not quantity. Okay. Going back to um, dealing with people and different kinds of people, um, who? How do you decide as an artist manager that this person is not compatible with you as a manager? Like when, for example, is it when you uh, sort of go, oh, great, they're calling me again, <laughs> you know? Well, yes. You know, and, and I had I always had a, form, a formula when the level of annoyance hmm. exceeded the level of talent, I knew I shouldn't manage the artist. Hmm. If they have a lot of talent, you have a lot of bandwidth mm-hmm. to deal with proclivities, to deal with maybe a little obstinance every now and then. Um, some of my clients weren't walks in the park to deal with. They were some of them were difficult. Some were were impatient. Mm-hmm. Some some were arrogant. Some were lazy. You know, you have to see if you can rectify those things and 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 fix them. And if you can't, then it may be time to drop the artist. So signings are not forever. Mm, yeah. What what are the terms usually of uh, an artist management contract? Good, good question. Generally, it's it's for anywhere between 15 to 20% commission-wise. The commission is on gross. And there's usually a one to three-year initial contract period with renewals, with, with, with options to renew. Usually, the option is on the, the manager's part. So your initial term could be three years. And then you have options to renew for another year. And they're they're usually automatic renewals unless either party terminates. Okay. Okay. Sometimes a management contract will key into other contracts that have been signed during the term of the management agreement. In the instance of Madonna, my management contract extended to the length of any record label contract she signed during the term of my artist management agreement. So she signed to Warner, whatever Warner's, Sire Warner, whatever the length of that contract was, automatically extended my contract. Mm, okay. The contract that I use, and I still use the same contract, is an ironclad contract that, that has been vetted in, in court several times. So I know it's, it's a good contract. And, and your legal documents are very important. Your legal documents need to be vetted. You need to sit down with maybe five or six lawyers and say, tell me the weakest parts of my agreement here. How can I get how can I get into trouble with these clauses? Is there any clause here that can bite me in, in the butt, more or less? Mm-hmm. And and so you know, and, and you you bolster those and you, you the con- I wouldn't change my contract for the world. Even today, many, many years later, it was it was ironclad when it when it signed Madonna and it's ironclad if I sign somebody tomorrow. Hmm, that's good. That's interesting. So uh, we're going to start wrapping up. Um, we okay. talking for for a while, <laughs> um, but I do have um, a couple questions left. So, um, what are the top three things you feel every artist manager should know? 
right? We talked a little bit about they should understand how record labels work. Mm-hmm. They they should they should understand how they sign the type of deals, what what can happen. All right. They should also understand how music publishing works. Mm. Okay. Those are the two primary income streams for an artist. They need to be knowledgeable about that. And then the third thing I think they need to be knowledgeable about is um is 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 marketing. How do I market my artist? How do I how do I take my network and expose them to this this artist? What's my market driver? So you have to be kind of knowledgeable about what brand you're going to be promoting and how to promote that brand. Sometimes it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little bit more complex. So you you have to have your plan together. You need an action plan for everything that you do. So uh Talking about the brand, how do you um, assign sort of like a brand to an artist? Hopefully the artist has a brand before they come to you. Hopefully <laughs> that they, they, they have a unique personality. They, they've, they've charmed many, many, not many audiences, but they've charmed audiences. They have something unique and special about either their look or the, their demeanor or the way they work. They have to be unique. Think about the stars that step on the stage now. Think about who they are. They're bigger than life most of the times. I mentioned it earlier. Does everybody turn their head to look at that person when they walk in the room? Are they unique looking? Is their voice unique, right? You, you, you think of a, a, a cool voice like Pink or Beyonce or, or, or Taylor, right? It's a cool voice and stuff. But think about the voices that are gruff and grumbly that still are successful, like a Tom Waits or some of the other you know, new people out there that have a very unique, not beautiful voice, but a, but a unique voice. Mm-hmm. These are all the things that say to you, hmm, is this a sellable item? Is this an item that, that the record labels would find interesting? Will, will artist, uh, artist representatives like uh, music publishers and uh, PRO people and record labels, will they respond to this person? Will the audience get it? When they see it, what will the audience get when when that artist steps on stage? You got to kind of put the audience hat on, the record label hat on, the music publishing hat on, and think about the artist through those lenses, as opposed to I really think this artist is cool. Mm-hmm. Why do you think the artist is cool? What does cool mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it it, it had there are tangible attributes to successful artists and artist managers need to know what they are and they need to be able to identify them in other people okay okay um so the my last and final question is you know most of our audience as i mentioned before they're aspiring um to enter the industry um you know, in any capacity, is there anything, any closing remarks that you'd like to tell them that you'd like them to know? Um, any advice? Get get experience wherever you can. Mm-hmm. Take three months and walk into a recording studio and say, I'd like to volunteer and be an assistant for three months and just hang out in the music business area, hang out at the studio run for some coffee, look at the interactions between the engineers and the producers and the artists and the managers and the, and the musicians. Immerse yourself into music industry situations wherever you can. Go to a showcase, see who's there. Are there labels there? 
Look, look and see what's going on. Are there booking agents there? How did the artist get the gig? Who's the booking agent? If the booking agent is there and you're a manager, you need a booking agent or two in your back pocket. Pick up, hi, you go, you say, you introduce yourself, what kind of, and you ask about them. You don't ask them questions. You ask about them, what kind of artists do you represent? How many artists on your roster? What kind of gigs do you get? Wow, that's really interesting. I'd really love to pick your brain sometime. Why? Because you need to know about booking. Mm -hmm. So it's exposing yourself to the areas that you need to master, that you need to own in terms of the knowledge. Okay. Thank you for that. That's very insightful. Um, so now we're going to start our closing. Um, so do you have any social media or any websites that you would like to uh, plug in? We'll put it in our description. Thank you. Camille Barbone Coaching is, is where it's at for me. And if you're an aspiring artist management, you want to jumpstart your career as a manager, take 12 sessions with me. It's it, 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 you'll, you'll come out the other side with a lot of information um, at your fingertips that would have maybe taken you about a year to <laughs> find yourself. So I think, I think coaching from an older artist manager, a manager that has experience is a great way for young managers to get involved in the business. Um, you know, if I, I'm, I'm planning to do some workshops for aspiring young, young, young artist managers, where we go to the basics, where, where maybe we go over a management contract, we do things like that. Um, those are the kinds of things you want to get involved with. Uh, you know, all the RIAA educational stuff, the university stuff, that's really important. You want to, that didn't exist when I started out in the business. There, there's a lot of canned, and I, I use that term not negatively. There's a lot of canned information out there that's valuable, that's accurate, that, that's at your fingertips. There's no excuse. Go after it. Okay. So it has been a pleasure having you on, Camille. Thank you for your time. Um, you can find Camille's plugs linked in our description. Again, I'm your host, Ashley Betances, and we have our audio engineer and producer, Curtis Sullivan, in the room as well. Please remember to like this episode and subscribe to our podcast and social media to keep up with updates. And don't forget to check out our coffee page and donate. Every donation counts. See you in the next episode.